my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. It doesn't get more real than that. And speaking of real, that's actually a perfect segue because uh, we're about to get super real in this place because we are talking about the divided states of America. And do you guys mind if I just let you kind of in to my time with God the last couple of weeks? I don't want to sound super holy, but uh, do y'all mind? Is that okay? Okay, thank you. So if you would have told me, hey, uh, JD, you're going to be standing in front of a bunch of your friends that are your age, and you're going to be speaking on the topic of racial reconciliation and the issue of racism in our culture today, a week before the election, possibly one of the most important elections in the history of our nation in 2020, I would have actually called you insane. Like, insane. And not only that, but... I, and that's not just lip service, guys. I, I would have ran for the hills and said, no way, no how, you're not getting me up there because I, to my core, if I'm being completely honest, I, I have this internal struggle of this, this thing called people pleasing. Ever heard of it? Anyone out there? And I also have another struggle with this thing called uh, perfectionism. Ever heard of it? Yeah, okay. And when presented with the opportunity to talk about something that could potentially be so divisive and there are so many mixed opinions and there are so many different things that in inform this conversation and let's not even you know, forget the fact that I am also white, I'm a male, I'm a Christian and there's a lot of different things that make me right from the bat at hearing the opportunity to share on this topic feel disqualified, feel insecure, feel like, you know, who am I to speak on this topic? And I began to just to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with God. God, I don't want to do this. Please, you know, I'll talk in the dating series. I'll talk in the therapy series. I'll talk about anything else. But politics, I just, I don't feel like I'm enough. And here's what God did in my time as David looked at me and was like, and that's exactly why you're doing it. And I was like, what? Um, God in my time, these past couple of weeks, has just shown me time and time again through his word where there seems to be this theme throughout scripture where God demonstrates that he uses inadequate, disqualified people to show his heart. That there are stories throughout the entire Bible where God used people who were not enough to demonstrate his enoughness and his sufficiency. And I had to sit there and wrestle with this tension. And I just wanna start off by saying, this is me just right off the bat, saying that I, I may not say all the right things. I may miss some felt needs in the room. So much so that I'm gonna just spend some time reading my notes because I wanna make sure that I articulate clearly, not what JD thinks, 
but God's heart for all people. And so, with that being said, I would like for you guys, uh, just for the next few minutes, to lean in with me as I read what I have spent hours and hours on, researching, studying, and praying for what I think God has for our generation tonight. I don't want to run. I don't want to distance myself from the very thing I claim I want to be about, which is racial reconciliation. I want to run to it. Not on my own power, not on my own strength, not on my own giftedness, not my own lack thereof, but on the authority of God and his word. That's the only thing I stand on tonight. And I hope you'll join me in the conversation. So here we go. When talking about the divided states of America, I believe racism is one of the most dividing factors in our country right now. We've seen protests this year, shootings, social media fights, things like Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, looting, hurtful words and actions, and I could go on and on and on of what the issue of racism has brought to our nation this year and years prior. We have had so many things that are dividing us. I've heard different arguments from so many different perspectives, so many articles and posts, some helpful, some hurtful. Some white people don't know what they're allowed to say or how they can help. They wonder if they should make every effort to be woke or if they should just shut up and sit down and be quiet. Some black people are having to address deep wounds and realities around them and decide how to stand for what they believe in in these times. Some people are having to fight to find the right words, definitions, names, meanings, labels, and navigate through a lot, lot of difficult and muddy waters. Some say white people are privileged and neglect systemic racism and can't see due to their unconscious bias. And some people say black people are using the history of slavery in one of the freest countries in the world. It seems like everyone is speaking and making so much noise, but at the same time, everyone has never been more silent. How is that so? Division. I think this is the result of division. Division creates a lot of noise, a lot of activity without much, if any, true accomplishment. And I want you to ask yourself, before we get started, I want you to ask yourself, what is the end goal? Think about that. In what world are all ethnicities and people happy? Is happiness even the goal? Is social justice for all the goal? Is the once oppressed to become the oppressor the goal? Or is to have all of this blow over after the election and go back to normal the goal? What is the end goal? And are we as humans on this side of heaven evil, even capable of achieving it? Is the goal genuinely to end racism in our world today? If so, how? Will voting for a certain person make a way? Will certain policies make a way? Will Democrats or Republicans make a way? Will the changing or adding of laws make ways? Will learning, listening, and lamenting make a way? Will our votes make a way? 
When we look around right now, so many people in the world think they know what is best and the best solution to end racism. But if I'm being honest, I am starting to care less and less about what most people think. I care less about what social media thinks. I don't really care what a theory or a label says or tells me. I do care though that I stick to my duty first and foremost as a child of God to care deeply about what God and God alone thinks. And then let that inform every thought and action I have moving forward. As Christians, we have to stop letting culture influence God's word and define the rules for God's people and start being God's people who follow and trust God's word and it alone and use it to influence culture. That's what has to take place. And I believe it can start here with a group like The Porch. After reading, listening, researching, watching, and praying, I have come to believe that the problem of racism is in fact not a political problem, but a spiritual problem to its core, to its roots. Therefore, we cannot tackle the problem first through political means, sociological means, or even moral means, but through spiritual means is where this discussion must begin. I truly believe it has to begin with the spiritual conversation. This is a sin problem, not a skin problem. And as Christians, we have a solution to our sin problem. In my preparation, I have been convicted and had to address the areas of my life where I have let approval of man guide my actions and thoughts over God's desire for me as a steward of his word to my generation. I have at times chosen to inform myself first through social media movements, through the news and podcasts and articles over God's word and his heart. At times I have chosen to stay silent out of fear of man's thoughts of me or even the color of my skin and the lack of experience that I've had to keep me back and I've allowed it to keep me back instead of letting my force be God's unchangeable truth and the truth he says about me and every person here tonight. At times I have chosen to stand and shout before I've even taken time or even thought about kneeling and begging and praying. And I want all of us to know that tonight these things in and of themselves are not bad. It's not wrong to stand for the things that you deem unjust. It's not wrong to research or learn you should make it your objective to seek to understand, grow, and learn how to better love every person and the things that have made them who they are. But we have to know that trying to fight a spiritual rooted issue with only a man-made solution will never bring us the peace that we claim to desire. You just cannot do it. And I'd like to humbly ask that all of us resist the urge in these next few minutes together to use what about isms. What do I mean by that? A lot of times we don't know how to listen to what is being said to us because our mind is filled with what about this? What about that? I know I do this. What about me? Well, what about what I saw over there? And what about he said or she said or they said? What about, what about? The reason why I wanna stay away from that is not because I don't wanna hear you, but because what abouts require a conversation. A conversation would mean that I would have to be able to speak and then get the gift, the luxury of listening to every one of you. But I just don't have that right now. 
I'd love to talk to all of you. I would sit down with any of you and discuss the research and studying I've done to seek understanding, researching critical race theory, intersectionality, police brutality, unconscious bias or hegemonic power, Marxism, white privilege, systemic racism, colorblind racism, and so much more. The list can go on and on on the things that each of us could put in the hard work to research and study and learn about. But that warrants a conversation where I both get to speak and listen. But right now, my call from God is to speak. And I have to lay aside my pride and fear in this moment and respond to the call in my life to teach my generation humbly about God's word, not my opinion. And because of this spiritual problem and because I cannot conversate with every one of you, I have decided not to speak my heart or my opinions and, and to give you some tweetable quotes that you can go write down later and post on your Instagram story. But God's truth and his truth alone, that's what I'm here to preach tonight. It's the only thing that matters. But before we do that, I want to first have each of us just sit for a moment introspectively and ask ourselves, and I'm going to do the same, these questions. One, do I believe that the word of God is sufficient? Do I believe that the word of God, what I mean by sufficient is, is, it, is it full, filled to the brim, no need for more, complete, lacking nothing, without error, no need for addition. It can be fully trusted. And do I believe it in such a way that I will let it impact my life? That matters in this conversation. Secondly, do I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I will explain more in a moment, but do I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection to be the perfect sacrifice and atonement for all people's sins, do I believe that it is sufficient, it is enough, it is complete for every injustice, every police brutality moment, every sexually abused person, every absent father, father, do I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover it all and to pay for it all? That matters in this conversation. Can the gospel truly forgive everything? Can it truly take darkness and make it light? Can it truly take wrong and extend grace and forgiveness? And can it truly lead to repentance and freedom? And lastly, do we believe that those two things together, the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ has the ultimate power to change the world. Do we believe that? Because if our generation, I truly believe this, guys. Listen to me. I believe, starting off right from the back, that if our generation would turn back to the word of God to inform our thinking and action and live out of the love which has been extended to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I think that we would change the world. If the answer is yes to those three questions, then I think that this talk will hopefully empower you, encourage you, and bring you peace. But if the answer is no, then I want, you to, I want to ask you to address the bigger problems before we start addressing racial reconciliation. No matter what, I truly believe and trust that God is in these next few minutes together and is ready to teach us something through his word. So with that, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Ephesians chapter 2.
And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father, you know my upbringing. You know every hair on my head, every cell in my body, every thought I have, every intention of my heart. And although I live my life to steward it in such a way that it would be pure, and I do my best, I fail time and time again. And tonight, there will be something that through me alone will not be enough, but you are. God, you are enough. And your plan to redeem the racial issues in our culture is enough. And it is possible today, not on human power or authority or action, but because something you have already accomplished through the life of your son. So I pray tonight that that would ring true for every heart here. That if a person tonight does not have a relationship with you, I pray first and foremost that they would get that relationship right before we even begin talking about getting other relationships with people around us right. And for those that do call themselves saints, sons and daughters of God in the room tonight, I pray that we would see that you have created a way out of this, this problem that is racism and social injustice. You created a way out of it through your son and then you have allowed us as sons and daughters of God to act in response to it. Tonight, take my little and use it according to your authority and your power. And you and you alone do I pray and ask these things. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. Hey, guys, I, I, I just felt the need to, like, start there. Start there right from the bat and let you guys know that, man, we are all figuring this out together. And I think we're all here tonight knowing this series and knowing the reality because we're all trying to figure this out together. But the best place to turn is God's word, and that's what I want to model for us tonight. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that in these verses, we're going to read about the reality of a group of people called the Gentiles. That's you and I. Because at the time of the church of Ephesus, what we see is that anyone who was not a Jew was referred to as a Gentile. No matter who you were, if you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. And therefore, because of that, there were things that were just true of you. Not because anything that you had done, but simply because of what you were born into, which is a huge issue. An issue that God and Paul here, the writer of Ephesians, wants to talk about. But we also see through this story that although there was a lot of corruption and a lot of oppression and different things, to different ethnicities, we were given access in this story to complete unity and oneness, not through actions or policies or protests or researching or opinions, but through one act that took place a little over 2,000 years ago called the gospel. And we talked about it a lot around here. But before I go any further, I want to make sure that every person here has an opportunity to know and receive the gospel. And so, guys, this is the best part of my conversation tonight, of this talk tonight, is the truth and the message that God saw man, 
created man in his image equal of value and dignity and worth. But man chose themselves and man sinned from the very beginning. And because of that, God orchestrated a plan from the very beginning to save mankind. And thousands of years later, we see him do that through his one and only son, the Bible says, by the name of Jesus. And Jesus stepped down from heaven and was sent to earth to be fully God and fully man. And he did something that you and I and the rest of history, past, present, and future, could never do. He was tempted in every way to follow the desires of his flesh, yet he remained without sin. He was sinless, which made him the perfect sacrifice to atone for yours and I's mistakes. Every sin that we create, he paid for on the cross. And because of that, because Jesus Christ took our sins and he died the death that you and I deserved, but not only that, was buried and then raised again three days. It was through that that Jesus Christ defeated sin, every type of sin. Abuse, addiction, pornography, trafficking, every bit of injustice that we see, racism, every sin he paid for in that moment when he died on the cross. And then it was complete in his resurrection. He actually rose from the dead three days later and he was united with God. And now if we believe in that story, that God sent his son to die for us, we have access to something, a bigger reality than we could ever dream of. And it's that God dwells in us. Like Shane was saying earlier, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. And we now, instead of receiving judgment, condemnation, penalties, we now receive grace and freedom and access to God. And so before we talk about what that reality can do for us, I would ask that tonight you ask yourself, have I even received and believed that? Because if you have not received or believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of this will make sense. If you have not decided to forsake yourself, to lay aside the passions and the desires and the need for control in your old life and submit to God, none of this will make sense. And so my first thing I wanna ask you is do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That is the first spiritual issue that we have to identify that there, is, there are people out there who are sinful and need Jesus. And if that's you, I would ask that you would take the rest of this time to get with people tonight and start a relationship with Jesus. And so if you've done that, Paul, he kind of sets the stage for that up in the first part of chapter two. And then he goes into what that means for you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, here's now what you have access to and here's what that means for you. And it's through this passage where Paul reveals how those who trust in Jesus are called to live, but not on their own will or merit or action, but through the blood of Jesus. And we believe this, this truth. Here's what we're gonna see tonight for you note takers, that through the gospel, we are rescued. Because of the gospel, we are reconciled. And with the gospel, we are rebuilt. With the gospel, we are rebuilt. So let's start with the first one. Through the gospel, we are rescued. Ephesians 2, 11 through 14, here's what it says. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders 
You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. We won't even get into that. Who were proud of their circumcision. Again, weird. Even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that once separated us. Guys, this is very good news. This is the word of God that reigns true today. Do you know why Paul was using this illustration of walls of hostility? At this time, there was this, there was this big, huge building known as the temple of God that everyone knew about. It was like, bam, right in the middle of the room. Everyone saw it, everyone knew about it. But here was the wrong way of thinking that these people, the Jews had at this time. If you were a Jew, you were a good person and you were a worthy enough person and anyone else, bad. Not good, not worthy. We are the Jews, hurrah for us. You're the Gentiles, bad. Something they couldn't even help. They made no sense. Jews, you can get in. You have access to a relationship with God. That's what the temple did. It was a place where God would come and dwell with his people. Jews, you can come in and dwell. Anyone else? Sorry about you. No access. It would be like this. If right now we were, you know, we have overflow rooms and the loft and stage two. It would be like we lined everyone up in the door and the only people who could come in here because, you know, most people, their desire is to get into the room and be as close as they can to what's going on on the stage and to really be near to all that's happening and participate and be fully engulfed in all the singing and the music and everything. It's amazing, the lights, the production. I want to be in this room. And what if every person lined up and we didn't say, hey, you can't come in because there's no space. We said, hey, you can't come in because you're not a Burnett. Burnett's do it better, so I've heard. Like, Burnett's the way to go. The darker the hair the better, whatever, and you can't come in because you're not a brunette. Um, and so people with red hair, black hair, you're in the loft, and then blondes, stage two. Sorry about you. <laughs> That's what that would be like, and I bet so many people would be like, what? That is crazy. I can't help the color of my hair. I can't help what, I was born with this color hair. You know what, what are you talking about? We can't get in because I'm, I'm not a Burnett. That is so wrong and it is wrong. That's what's going on here though. People literally were told by society at this time, guys, in the Bible times, society was telling people wrongly that they were outsiders. They were called names, racial slurs, you could say, like uncircumcised heathens by the privileged Jews. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> they were living apart from Christ. That's what they were told, living apart from Christ. And then lastly, they were told, hey, and you're excluded from citizenship because of your ethnicity, because of your bloodline. Well, what, what why? I, I couldn't help this. Sorry. 
You can't get in. You're unworthy. Do you know what that sounds like? When I was just reading the scripture over and over and over, do you know what that sounds like? Racism. That sounds like oppression. That sounds like a system and an authority who was acting unjustly on something that people on, on something that people had no control over. And it was wrong. And what's crazy is, is all the things I've listed so far aren't even the worst things. The worst reality that these people had to face that was true of them was this. In verse 12, it says, and you were told that you lived in this world without God and without hope. Imagine that. Truly think about that. For the people of God in this room, can you imagine Think about every unjust thing that's ever happened to you, the abuse that's happened to you, the fatherlessness, the divorce, the pain, the cancer, the death, all of the things that have been a product of sin that has happened to you. Imagine someone coming up to you and telling you, oh, and by the way, you have no hope. And God doesn't care about you all for something that you had no control over. You could try and try and try, but nope. Because you're not a Jew, this isn't true for you. That's what was going on here. That's what these people were being told. These people were experiencing what might've been the most realist form of oppression and racism. And it was awful and it was hard and God saw it. And he demanded change. He demanded that something be different. He knew, and Paul knew right here, that this was not the heart of God. And so that's why he continues to write. The story did not end there. The story did not end at this reality that, hey, God is over here and you, you're way over here, so far off, so far gone. You have no hope. Paul said, that is not gonna be the story. Because that's not, not, not what God is about. Here's the story. But now, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, that's what I was just telling you, on the cross he broke down all of the walls of hostility that once separated us. What once divided us, we are now united with Christ Jesus. What once made us far away, we now have been brought near because of the blood of Christ Jesus. We once were hopeless and we were without hope, but now we have the blood of Christ Jesus and it changes everything. Through the gospel, through the blood of Christ, we are rescued. And that is the reality of every person in this room. At one point, your sin had you far away and it had you in darkness 
and it told you that you were excluded. It told you that you were not enough. It told you that you should be full of shame and full of guilt. And for all of these things, it, your sin brought you down and down and down. It took you further, further and further away. And God said, I don't like that. I want to change that so much so that I am willing to send my one and only son to fix that once and for all. And those who once were far off, no matter what the reason was, every single one of us, we can unite under the truth that we once were far not off, have now the ability to be brought near, not on our own merit, not on our own boasting, not on any action or anything that we can do, not any protest or any new system or any new law. We are brought near by the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ alone. There's hope in that. You know why? Because that takes so much off of me. Because I'm going to get it wrong. But through Jesus, we are rescued. Rescued from oppression. Rescued from attacks. Rescued from racist. And most importantly, rescued from the penalty of sin. Nothing is more powerful than that. There is no greater news than that, that through the gospel, we are rescued. And some of you might be thinking, hear me, well, what about my pain though? And what about the unjust things taking place? And what about the systems and the corruption in the government? What about all of these different things? And I wanna stop and just say, you're right. You're allowed to wonder that. You're allowed to have that conversation and you're allowed to recognize that as wrong and unjust and painful. And you're allowed to sit in that, but you don't have to stay in that because you have hope in the rescue and the blood of Jesus Christ. And nothing can change that. No system, no government, no law can take that away from you. You have been rescued once and for all. And that's why we can't take away from what's going on here. And what I mean by that is we can't make this the problem with mankind or with politics and think that justice can't be served until someone pays because if we think that justice isn't served until someone today presently pays or does something different, then we are diminishing then the, the price that Jesus paid years ago on the cross. Do you get that? If you think there's something still to be accomplished or done to meet the need of your soul and the hurt and the injustice in the world, then you are missing out on all that the gospel and the blood of Jesus offers you. There is hope in the gospel. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. And when we acknowledge the power and the death of Jesus, we will see what it can do in our relationships with everyone around us. Which leads to point two, because of the gospel, we are reconciled. Because of the gospel, Reconciliation for all is obtainable. And what do I mean by reconciled, that we are reconciled? I mean that we can be restored relationally to Christ, first and foremost, and then to one another through the blood of Jesus. I'm gonna keep pounding that home. 
not will be one day reconciled, not could be if we just get this right and we just learn this and change this, not could be reconciled, we are reconciled by the blood of Christ. There's this hymn I grew up on that I've just been singing all day long and this might not land if y'all don't back me up. But I just want us to like maybe sing this the rest of this week. Or like, is this man about to sing? Kind of, we're gonna sing. This song, it says something in the response every time is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Y'all heard the song? Anyone? It says, what can wash away my sin? What can make us whole again? And then it says, oh, precious, I ain't singing it, <laughs> is the flow. That makes us white as snow. There's no other fount I know than what? We'll work on it. But guys, that's so true. We overcomplicate this. That's what I've realized. I overcomplicated this. The word nothing, it's absolute. We've made everything so wishy-washy. But scripture is absolute. And I know that we sing songs like this, but do we believe it? What can make me whole? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's powerful. If people believe that, there's something powerful coming. Ephesians 2, 15 through 18 says, you know, how did he receive, how do we receive reconciliation? It says this, Jesus did this by ending another absolute word, ending the system of law with its commands and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Done. Gone. Finished. And he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. What does this tell me? That the gospel has the power to restore every bit of relational hurt in this room tonight. The gospel has the power to reconcile every bit of injustice that we see in our world every bit of oppression we see in our world, the gospel and the blood of Jesus can provide a solution to every bit of it. The scripture just says, like, let's just walk through it. Let's just like look at what it means to just let God's word lead us and guide us. It says, ended the, 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 
the blood of Jesus, it ended the system of laws within the commandments and regulations. What does that mean? It means that there is no man-made law that is stronger than what God has already done through his son. None. The next one. The blood of Jesus made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. What does that mean? It means that at one time there was oppression and there was, there was a separation. And we've seen that time and time again where people have tried to do this. But through Jesus, what was now divided and what is divided and what might one day again be divided, the things that are divided right now are now one through Jesus. There's unification Welcome to the family. All are equal. No matter your skin color, your background, your beliefs, we are all see each other as one in Christ. And it also says, and the blood of Jesus made a way for hostility towards one another, racism towards one another, oppression towards one another, to be put to death. What does that mean? It means that I don't run from the hurt. I don't run from the opportunity to preach God's word on an important matter. We don't run from hard conversations and conflict and hurts and pain. We don't run from it. We press into it because there is an opportunity for reconciliation because hostility is dead in Jesus' name. It's lost its grip. It's lost its power. And now we can humbly come before one another and the things that once divided us, now we can find unification in the blood of Jesus and it alone. What does this sound like to you? If the first part of the scripture sounded like racism, this sounds a whole lot like racial reconciliation. What was once excluded has been included. What was once divided has been united and seen equal. This tells me that if reconciliation to God was made possible through Jesus and that we believe that, that means that rec reconciliation Hear me, reconciliation is not something to be created by our generation. It's not something to be developed or, or pressed on towards or to achieve or work to. It's something to be accessed, obtained, and acknowledged through Jesus. It already exists. We don't have to keep striving. We don't have to keep trying. Wrong thinking says that action leads to reconciliation. But my Bible says that the idea, the belief in reconciliation will produce action. Here's what I mean by that. You can be angry and you can think that protesting or rioting or posting or doing all these things in the name of action could lead to reconciliation. But what I read here and what I have studied here is that reconciliation does not need action from us. What needs to happen is us to see that reconciliation has already been accessible by Jesus. And if we would believe that we have an opportunity to be both reconciled to God and to man, that will then produce the right kind of action. And as I wrap up this passage, it says the gospel also brought good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. We get that. But here's what most people don't want to talk about. The gospel also brought peace to you who were far away 
and to the Jews who were near. The gospel was also needed for the Jews who were near. What does that tell me? It tells me that at this time, the privileged, the know-it-alls, the wealthy, and the religious people of that day still needed the gospel. It needed, they needed the gospel to be their way towards unification. They didn't need what they were born into. They didn't need the, the ability to have close proximity to the dwelling place of God. They didn't need to lean on the privilege that they had or their traditions or law or their works. Nothing got them a relationship with Jesus. They had nothing to boast in. They needed Jesus just as much as the people who were far away. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone has access to Jesus. Everyone, do you believe it? And when both Jew and Gentile are white, black, Hispanic, Asian, every ethnicity represented in this room and out there, when all of us choose to obtain access to the reconciliation to God and man offered through the blood of Christ, we can see our last points take place, that with the gospel, we are not only rescued, we're not only reconciled to God and to one another, but we are rebuilt. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is who? Is Christ Jesus himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This again is like temple language. The purpose of the temple before Christ. This is important, okay? This is like some Bible stuff one-on-one -on -one that I just learned like last year. The purpose, I know, you're like, what is this guy doing up there? It's um, my point. So the temple of God before Jesus was where God would come and dwell. Like his presence would come into the temple and dwell with the Jews. He didn't like the separation that that, and the exclusion that that meant of other ethnicities and people. He wanted all to have access to him. So then what did he do? He sent his son. Colossians 1.19 says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in his son. So now God did not need to dwell in a temple. It dwelt in the full God-man, fully God and fully man. He, he dwelled in him and he walked the earth with people just like you and I. And then just like the temple was torn down, Jesus was torn down through his death and his resurrection. And then he ascended to heaven. And when he went up to heaven after he rose from the dead, do you know where God's spirit then dwelled? Where? In us. Once in the temple, separation. Didn't like that. Down. The plan, he dwelled in Jesus. He came down. He paid the price so that then God could dwell in us, every single one of us, to be members of the household of God, the cornerstone of which the whole new structure is being built, Jesus Christ himself. Guys, it's just straight in the scripture. So now, when the lost and the far off and the hurt and the oppressed and the raped and the abused and the lied to and stolen from and bitter and prideful and addicted people, the oppressed people, 
the people who have dealt with all the different types of injustice, when they come looking for a place to find restoration and unity and reconciliation and a family and love and forgiveness and grace and redemption, they are not met with walls and things prohibiting them to experience with God. No, they are met with the presence of God in the hearts of his sons and daughters, us. That's now what people get to go to to experience God, his people, you and I. We are now the place where people come. The church is now the place where people come and get to see God's glory on full display. What was once only attainable for a certain people group, now through Jesus, access to all, and that's represented through the body of Christ, the family of God. It says, carefully he builds us together in him, becoming the holy temple for the Lord to dwell, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. What does that mean? That we are the family of God. Walls once separated us, now we are like bricks extending from Jesus, building a new structure for God to dwell in the hearts of every single one of us, no matter our backgrounds and our stories and our opinions. It's all just through Jesus. And now because of Jesus abolishing these walls and killing the division and the things that literally kept us from God, we are now able to be reconciled to other men. And I just wanna close with this. I know, I know like, guys, trust me, I'm gonna go tonight and be like, you were so serious up there. Why were you so serious? And I'm gonna go sit and I'm gonna go think about just the reality of this. But here's what I know to be true. Like, I truly believe that if our generation would start taking this serious, things would change. I've said that time and time again, but I believe in you guys. I believe that racial reconciliation is possible because I believe in each of you. And, and better than believing in you, I believe in the spirit in you. You're gonna fail. You're, you're gonna not listen appropriately. You're gonna say something hurtful. You're gonna go through something again that is unjust or abusive or wrong. You're gonna experience something really hard because that's the reality of, of the world. That's what the Bible promises us. It assures us that in this world, you will have suffering. But it doesn't end there. It says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. You can clap. But listen, it's not just me who believes in you, although I do. I pray for you often. I prayed for you guys so much this message tonight that you would see Jesus as the solution to every bit of the unjust things taking place right now. And also as God, as the hope in what's gonna happen next week and the outcome of it. But I'm not the only one, Jesus, Jesus believed in you. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This blew my mind the first time I read it. 
Jesus is about to go literally suffer on the cross with you and I in mind. And before that, the, the writer John takes us into this moment, this intimate moment where Jesus is on his knees and he is he's dropping sweats of blood over the reality of what's about to take place. It's about to be that gruesome. And instead of thinking about his own pain and his own suffering, he was thinking about the future suffering that you and I were gonna have to endure. How do I know that? Because here's what he prays. He's literally praying to God and here's what he chooses to pray about, you and I. Read it yourself. It says in verse 20 of chapter 17, I am praying not only for these disciples, his 12 disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That is you and I. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he is praying right now. Jesus was out loud before he died, praying about you and I. And he says this, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Guys, what does that mean? If Jesus right there is saying that the answer to the world, finding hope in Jesus Christ is through them being one, that tells me that God is most glorified and will remain most glorified to our world when we, the church, are most unified. When we experience unification, God will receive glorification. And that is the mission of the believer. Did you know that when you signed up for this, when you chose to say no to religion and just doing some works and doing some things to get your the best life now, you didn't just sign up for that. You signed up for a purpose bigger than yourself, to show the glory of God to a lost and hurting and dividing and seeking world. And Jesus knew the answer, unity. He knew that in 2020, there would be more division than ever. And people are gonna look around and see division on so many different topics and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, more people angry, that makes sense. Oh, division, that makes sense. But then there's gonna be this, in all the darkness, there's gonna be this light. This is the church and people are gonna be like, wait, what, what's going on over there? Why are these people so happy? Why are they so good together? Where's the gossip? Where's the division? Where's the separation? Why are they so united? And it's because we are a people who believe the word of God to be true. That it's not through our own works it's not through our own action, but it's through the blood of Christ. And it's nothing but the blood of Christ that gives us the opportunity of hope. And so as an action point, this is all I have for you tonight. I don't have much. I say as an action point, believe it. Believe this to be true. Hit your knees tonight pray for it to be true and let it transform the way that you live. Follow the example of Christ. Do you know how Christ obtained reconciliation? By laying his life down. May we do the same.
Pray for ways to lay your life down for your brothers and sisters around you. Think about the division and the, and the phone calls you, you need to make tonight to the people that you have hostility towards and break down those walls in Jesus' name and ask for forgiveness. Get it right. There's nothing worth holding on to separation and bitterness. The Bible actually calls it like, like unforgiveness is like decaying bones in our body and you are surely and slowly losing it. And you know it and I know it. And you're making the problem, all of this and all of that and all these posts, but there's a solution and it's the blood of Jesus. So may we be the generation that obtains that solution and lets it lead to God-fearing and God-honoring action because when God's people are most unified, that is when Christ will be most glorified. Let it be so. Father, like Jesus, I I just wanna come and, and ask that the world would know that you sent your son, not because of a post on social media, not because of a protest or anything that we can do on our own strength, but that the world would know that you sent your son because we will stand up as brothers and sisters in Christ, united not by the color of our sin, but the blood of your son. And we will say that division stops here. Racism stops here. Oppression stops here. And unity starts here. Reconciliation starts here. The people of God. I pray that you would use men and women of this room of every background, every ethnicity to go and share the love of Jesus. And for those tonight who it's really hard to believe that such an opportunity is possible because of the hurt and pain they've experienced, I pray that tonight, God, you would just show yourself real to them. They would understand what it looks like to have a relationship with you and that would influence their relationship with others moving forward. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers every sin. We worship you because of it. And that I pray, amen.